0: Thank you for that reading. And what a joy it is to be here today, this delightful worship time. Uh, and to share with you in this celebration of Sierra Leoneans' 62nd birthday. How wonderful. I remember going to Freetown, Sierra Leone, to the theological hall there for uh, uh, the uh, uh, graduation of students, 100 students who had taken a a course that was run by Cliff College. And what a joy it was to meet the Secretary of State for Education and to share together in that Uh, at a time when Francis Nabu was the president. And uh, of course, he came to work here, sadly, sadly passed away, but uh, uh, tragically passed away, but a joy to be with you here today. And uh, thank you for the invitation. Uh, Tony. Well, let's pray. God of life and hope, we come to you as the fountain of all goodness and grace. Grant us listening ears as we open the scriptures that we may have insight and understand and live out abundant life. Amen. You know, John's gospel has this wonderful, developing story of Jesus. It starts in the most dramatic way. Not for John, the stable and the manger. No! For John sets Jesus in a kind of cosmic setting. He is the one, the word, the very life that comes to save, to enable, to empower, to change, to transform people's lives. And by the time we get to chapter 10 of John's gospel, we're kind of halfway through. I mean, John didn't write chapters, okay? Okay. He just wrote the story. Chapters came later, verses later still. But by the time we get to chapter 10, we're midway through the gospel. And it's at this point, Jesus kind of tells them, Hey, I have come that you may have abundant life. And he sets the story with pastoral illustration. An illustration that the people there would know really well. There's two places, two kinds of keeping of sheep overnight. One by the town or the village where there would be a, 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 a sheep fold that would keep the sheep of various shepherds. And there'd be walled and there'd be a gatekeeper. And in the morning at dawn, early in the day, the shepherd would come. The gatekeeper would recognize him. And the shepherd would call the sheep. And the sheep knew the cadence of their voice. And the sheep would come out. And the shepherd would lead the sheep. You know, I lived in Derbyshire for a number of years. And there, there are quite a few shepherds. They drive the sheep, right? But in Palestine... And in the Middle East, still, the shepherd will walk ahead, calling the sheep. And the sheep know their voice of the shepherd. And as the scripture tells us, the shepherd knows them by name, each one. And then it moves to a different kind of illustration what might call a penfold, high on the hills of Palestine. A walled structure, more or less circular, made from the limestone uh, stones (laughs) that were around. Very simple. Open to the elements. But with a gap. No door. But at night, the shepherd would sit in the gap. And Jesus says, I am the door. If you want to come and be part of this flock, this community of faith, then there's only one way in. The door. I am the door. And John uses this text, this saying of Jesus, because he wants you to know that actually the Jesus who... (laughs) began all things who comes to the very center of humanity to bring grace and truth and light and understanding the kind of education that we've heard of just now that actually people should grasp that so that they may take their place in society John wants us to know that we need to find the way. Jesus, he is the door. If you go back through the gospel, you find that in what we call chapter 9, that actually Jesus is talking about people who are just spiritually blind. Are they the thieves in the parable now? But for the ordinary people, They're the ones with sight and understanding. Chapter 8, there's a woman caught in adultery. They only bring the woman. Where's the man? But for her, there's dignity and mercy and forgiveness and place in community. And chapter 7, it talks about the rivers of spiritual water, the rivers that flood from God's grace, a kind of overflowing abundance of God's grace. In chapter 6, there is Jesus speaking about himself as the bread of life, the sustenance, that which keeps us going. Chapter 5 talks about the relationship of Jesus and the Father and the relationship that we can have with God. Chapter 4, we know so well. The woman at the well, actually the courageous, perceptive, and yet estranged woman at the well, whom Jesus treats with dignity, and she has understanding, and goes back to the people who have nothing to do with her, and says, come and see. Chapter 3, we know even better. For there is Nicodemus. Nicodemus who comes at night in the shades and the shadows to discover that he needs to be born from above, born anew. Then chapter 2, there's Jesus who turns water into wine, which is a problem for Methodists. (laughs) But actually, John is telling us Jesus comes as the new wine of the kingdom to transform and change so much. And chapter 1, which is where we began, that cosmic setting of God in Christ coming, the center point of all creation, to bring the architect of our salvation through whom we have light and life and truth. And here in chapter 10, John says, if you want some of this, if you want that truth and light of faith, if you want to be refreshed with the new wine of the kingdom, if you need to be born anew, if you want to have that perception of understanding as the woman of the well, if you want a relationship with the Father, if you need the bread of heaven, if you need and want the living water of the Holy Spirit you do need to know mercy and forgiveness. And you do need enlightenment. If you want all that, then come, find the way, for Jesus is the door to abundant life. You know, if we were to go today down Oxford Street and say to people, what do you think abundant life is? They would say things like, well, what do you think they would say? They would say, well, actually, a life of luxury. How about that? So that I have opportunity to do what I want, to go where I like, to purchase what I fancy. I have plenty of money, no financial financial. Where is spacious living, a place in the town, and the country, and the seaside, and Sierra Leone, and Ghana. They might say, oh, we'd like to win big. You know, there's been a white paper, hasn't there, this week, in Parliament, about gambling. Well, I have to say to you, and I've read a summary of it, that if I was Ofsted, and I'm not, the one word that I would use about that white paper is inadequate. But winning big is about kudos and power and position and celebrity. Not worrying about finances. Having people who like me and whom I like it's a kind of idealized form of life what, what did Jesus really mean he didn't mean a cozy life he didn't have a cozy life he didn't mean oh you need to be by the pool by the swimming pool in the sunshine drinking a glass of oh coca cola So what Jesus is saying and what John is reporting to us is the kind of people we need to be. The thing that God does with us and for us. Whether you're talking about Nicodemus, the woman of the well, the woman caught in adultery, or the disciples themselves, they are being transformed by the power and the grace of God. There's an overabundance of God's grace that is coming to them. But there's also the question of what God wants us to do. I spent quite a bit of time this week talking to people, some I know well, others not quite so well, asking them what they think abundant life is about. And two or three of them are saying, Things that are quite perceptive. They say, well, on the one hand, I'd like it to be calm. You know, life is tough, isn't it? I'm worried about oops, I'm worried about can I afford to put the heating on? I don't have enough money, I can't pay the mortgage. I have a big job, it's very stressful, and yet I have to get the kids to school or nursery. Or I'm worried about them at university. And I need an electrician, and I can't find a builder, and the plumber hasn't done his job. People have all these kinds of stresses, But they said, I need a certain amount of stress, but I do need calm. Calm for myself. Calm to reflect. Come to pray. Time for God. Time with God. Time to be creative. Maybe to paint, to garden. Get my hands in the soil. Have the smell of fresh mown grass. (laughs) One said, I'd like to be in a warm bath. But we also need those moments of calm. But we need stress. To be positive. Actively engaged in serving others. Not just for ourselves. Taking on a new challenge. Being at peace and being a peacemaker. Serving others. Supporting them. Working for the benefit of others. And for justice. Too much calm would be boring, it would be self-focused, it could be empty. We need a level of stress to motivate us. But too much stress is overwhelming. I mean, ask any Methodist minister about stress. But living abundantly is not just about me, myself, I. It is about, what has God given me? What opportunities do I have? What gifts can I use for the benefit of others? Living an honorable life, being respectful of others, being open and honest, especially when there are disagreements, supporting friends, encouraging one another, but listening to community, serving the community, caring for creation. You know, I was here in the central London last weekend when there were tens of thousands of people who were campaigning in relation to the cri- uh, climate crisis. They didn't kick a policeman or bite a dog. They didn't tear down the railings or smash a window. They didn't throw orange color over the green grass. And the press ignored them. But caring for creation is crucial. Standing for justice, speaking truth to power. Incidentally, this coming week, we have the local elections. And I hope... You're registered. I hope you've got your ID in your back pocket. And I hope that you will take the opportunity, which I think is our civic right and our Christian duty, to vote in these local elections. You see, abundant life is not just about me. It is about what God, through me and you, can do. But it starts, every journey has a starting place. It starts in this parable. It starts where Jesus invites us to join and says, I am the door. I am the way. Come, follow me. Come, believe in me. For I will bring you mercy and forgiveness and grace. But I will also challenge you. By my spirit, I will transform you. That you may be a changed person. When John Wesley published his booklet about the covenant service, he wrote in the introduction, well, he wrote a lot of things, actually, but he wrote in the introduction an invitation to adventure yourself with Christ. When Jesus invites us to abundant life, this is not a dull and dire he invites us to adventure ourselves with him. It's exciting, interesting, scary, wonderful, challenging. With its moments of wonderful calm and tremendous challenge, John, in this passage, invites us, I invite you to find Jesus, the door, the gateway, to follow him in all you are, and in all you do. May God bless you. Amen. And so we sing